Hey everybody, it's Whitney here. Hey, it's Macy here. It's Macy McLean and Whitney Coonan. You'll figure out how to swim eventually. At the end of our life, what do we want to be our story? We're sharing success and sparking power. You're listening to You're listening to Power in Heels. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are super, super excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So um, I just want to start off and essentially, you know, Marcy, you are a psychotherapist. You have your own company called Gray Matter Health. Um, it's all really exciting stuff and it's really important work too. So I kind of want to just start off and ask about how you actually got into this line of work. So I've always been wanting to be in social services in some way, helping people from a little girl. I think I've always wanted to do that. So in all of my studies, I was always focused on psychology, sociology, social work. And so I have started in this field and stayed in this field for, it's been over 20 years. In terms of private practice, I decided after being in the field for a while and having my master's in clinical social work, I did that in order to be able to have private practice. And so I did work in the field for a little bit before starting private practice after getting the master's and then got into private practice that way. And that was an inspiration that I had with a friend of mine who we talked about being in practice together, really to help those who are in the field who may be struggling with their mental health as well. And so when my friend passed away, that kind of inspired me to continue her legacy in starting the private practice and going forward. What would you say if you had to pick something would be your most favorite part about your job? The most favorite part is interacting with different people and being there for people in a time in their life when they really need somebody to be there as a support. I think it's such a privilege to be able to be in someone's life as that point of contact where they're looking for some support, they're looking for some answers to life, and they're looking for some treatment possibilities for maybe different ailments or uh, mental health issues that they may be encountering. And I feel like it's such a privilege to be connected to people in that way. Of course. And I mean, you kind of mentioned that, like, you know, there's different types of people in the industry and everything and, and, you know, looking for help and everything. So I I think we should kind of want to focus on this a little bit today and get deeper into it. You know, getting help or seeking out help can be a little bit daunting, um, especially for people who aren't in the industry. So Macy and I know nothing about it and we don't know the difference between different types of therapists or who to go to for what. So essentially my question here is, let's say it's time for someone to um, seek out help because they decide that they want it and they need it. Where should they start? Because it seems definitely always like a very daunting process. It is and it can be a daunting process. If you're a student, I would say start with your school and find out if your school has a psychology department or a counselor counseling department that deals with therapy and counseling for students, that's a really good place to start. In your counseling center at your school, you may have psychotherapists, you may have psychologists, you may have clinical social workers. So it just depends on what they have, but they're all going to do similar things within that environment because they work as a team and they're going to work together. If you're looking outside of that, you want to connect with your doctor maybe is a good start. If you're not sure what's happening with you, you can talk to your doctor about what's been happening. Some family physicians are really quite comfortable in doing the initial assessment and then passing you on to somebody else or doing the initial assessment, starting medication if that's where you need to go or that's where you agree upon and then following you through and then suggesting that you go and get a private therapist. So if you're going into private therapy, so you're looking for a therapist, one of the greatest ways to start is 
going on and Googling psychology today. And through there, you're going to get a whirlwind of resources in terms of therapists. So you can look for your area and actually just look for the therapists that are available in your area. And in terms of the different types of therapists, so clinical social workers can do psychotherapy and psychotherapists are those who have different credentials. We all have a master's in something and it's also who the college is that uh, we're registered with. A psychotherapist is registered with the College of Psychotherapy and they may have a different credential, like they may have their master's in psychology. A clinical social worker can do psychotherapy and is registered with the College of Social Work. So it's just the difference in terms of just where you're registered in terms of your college that oversees the psychotherapy that you do. Different from that is a psychologist who has their PhD and a psychologist can actually diagnose so that's one of the biggest differences. A psychologist can diagnose. A psychotherapist can do assessments with you. But in terms of if you needed an actual diagnosis, a psychologist can do that, as well as some other detailed assessments that psychologists can do. Then you've got a psychiatrist, which is a medical doctor that specializes in, in the area of mental health. And for the most part, they don't tend to do psychotherapy. They tend to do what a doctor would do, which is find out what the issue is, do the assessment, if there's medication that needs to be prescribed, prescribe the medication and follow you through in terms of symptomology and pharmacology. That's the differences between all of those. Wow. Listening to it, it, it seems a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, maybe <laughs> if I'm an individual who wanted to seek out help, but now hearing all these different types of people that I could go to, how do I know who to approach? Or is it simpler than that? Do you just, you know, go to your first step and then they will help you decide which one of these different professionals is the right one for you. Yeah, I would just say if you don't know where to start, you're going to A, if you're a student, start with your counseling office at your school and B, if you're not a student or even if you're a student looking for some kind of therapy, you can start with psychology today and start seeking a therapist that way. So those are the two kind of most easiest. And number three would be just seeing your doctor and talking to your doctor and they sometimes will do a referral, decide on what you need. And the doctor will either say, yeah, you can use a therapist or yeah, maybe if it's severe enough, maybe you need to see a psychiatrist. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. And that really helps to kind of break it down because I feel like as Whitney said, even it can feel really stressful and you have no idea. Okay, I know that I need to get help, but I have no idea where to start. So thank you for that for kind of breaking it down for us and our listeners as well. I did kind of want to mention or talk about some of the common misconceptions that people have about therapy and seeking mental health and how are you able to address these common concerns? One of the concerns is the stigma of mental illness and mental health diagnosis. And so I'd like you to start thinking of therapy as a way of maintaining your health. So just like you can go for a checkup to make sure that you're doing okay, you can go for a checkup just to make sure your mental health is doing okay. So that we just think of it just as another way of maintaining well-being rather than I have to go to a therapist because I have an issue or there's a problem. That's the stigma that we often face. That makes a lot of sense because I, I, I know a lot of people always assume that there has to be something wrong with them for them to go and seek out therapy or help. And that may not necessarily be the case. That's a great point there. So I kind of want to bring out a scenario. So maybe there is a student or an individual who struggles sometimes and they want to seek out some help, but 
they don't struggle all the time. Maybe it's certain times of the year or certain scenarios that they struggle more than others. So they don't feel that they need therapy in a long-term sort of way, but they are afraid that if they go to therapy, suddenly they're committing and they're going to be stuck in therapy for a long time when they don't want to be. So what, what would you say about that scenario there? Because I'm sure that's um, something that a lot more people struggle with as well. You are absolutely the captain of your ship when it comes to therapy. You are not writing, signing a contract to be there, you know, every week at five o'clock, you know, on the dot. You actually decide with your therapist how often the frequency of your visits and uh, depending on what you are showing up for, your your therapist is going to make some recommendations maybe. But those are just recommendations. It's always, I always share with my clients my recommendation, but it's always also after a conversation based on their availability, what they're coming in for and their budget as well. So you're not needing to sign on the dotted line and then be committed and locked in. Also, you also want to just come in and meet your therapist and see if you have a good connection with your therapist, right? And everyone's a lovely person. Every therapist is lovely. However, it just may be that every different everybody's personality is different there may be times that things are like therapy can be very difficult so once you've connected with your therapist it doesn't mean that every session is going to be happy there might be sessions where there's tears and there's sessions where it's tough and expect it to be tough so those are not necessarily reasons to kind of bail out and stop but just knowing, keeping in mind that therapy can be, you know, dealing with things that we haven't ever dealt with and realizing that those things have been hindering us in getting forward, moving forward in life. Therapy can be challenging, but it's also rewarding once you get past certain things in your life and you're seeing the progress. We want to make sure that this is something that you're enjoying and that's something that you're kind of spearheading because that's kind of the point of it. No, that's a great point and that's really helpful. So essentially if someone could come and just do one session to try it out and see if they feel that it would be helpful or they could try more than one therapist and then decide. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So most therapists offer free initial consultations. A consultation is a great way to kind of connect with a therapist or two. So you want to read their bios, figure out what they do, uh, what they specialize in, and whether that's something you, know, you want to work on as well. And then you want to just meet them and talk to them over the consultation and then see how well you connect and the things that they feel like they can do in terms of working together. Coming up next on Power in Heels. A lot of celebrities are talking about therapy. A lot of people that are looking like they're okay and perfectly put together are going to therapy and have in conversations I do want to talk a little bit about this assumption that therapy is always very expensive. And for some, that may not be an issue, but for other people, it may seem very out of reach or inaccessible. So what would you say to that? And also, maybe you could share some other more accessible ways for people who aren't able to, I guess, pay the price to to be in therapy? Yeah. So usually, you know, the majority of people who come to see me have therapy covered through their employer, either their employer or their parents' employer. Uh, It's covered. So they're not even paying out of pocket or they pay a very little bit out of pocket because a lot of it's covered. However, there are also other alternatives. So your school, for example, if they have a department of counseling, for the most part, you're not paying for that at all either. Uh, There's also free organizations that you can register for. And I say register for because sometimes they have free drop-in sessions that you can just show up to. But then other times you have to register if you want ongoing counseling 
and there could be a bit of a wait list for that. But it could be free of charge. So it is accessible in terms of having it free of charge. So some of those organizations might be family service organizations, community mental health associations. So these organizations are all across Ontario. So you can look in your area for any of the organizations, nonprofit organizations that offer free counseling. So that's always an option. That's that's really great to hear because I honestly, I didn't know that. I, I assumed that you know everybody had to pay for therapy out of their own pocket. Um, and I, I know that some people have insurance, but that doesn't necessarily cover the entire cost. So it's great to know that there are some more options out there for um, seeking therapy. Yeah. And I also wanted to include, because we're in a pandemic, a lot of organizations have increased the coverage for their employees because they know mental health is such a real big issue right now. You know, you would want to check in with your parents' coverage or with your coverage and see if you're covered. Um, now, I do have something else that you kind of, you mentioned the pandemic, and I've noticed that throughout the pandemic and even before, I guess, but there's a lot more online options for therapy and online um, versions of it or, you know, different places that you can go that are now, you know, virtual. So what would you say about this kind of switch to being online? And would you say that these new systems are as good as what some people consider the traditional versions of therapy or are they better? What's your opinion on that? So there are some organizations that are exclusively doing kind of like talk or text type therapy, and that may work for some people and it may not work for others where you're not necessarily seeing somebody face to face, but it's mostly talk or text type conversations. If that works for you, then that, you know, that's an option. For the most part, most therapists are now offering online because a lot of them are not no longer in the office doing in-person face-to-face therapies. Online really works well in this environment because in person a lot of the times you've got to wear a mask or there's got to be a glass in between or and it becomes a little bit impersonal harder to see facial expressions and connect in a certain way with everyone being masked whereas online you're able to be in the comfort of your own home you're able to you know be in your pajamas if you want to be and you can meet with your therapist face to face and really get to talk and feel like you're in a safe space and so that has really worked for a lot of people. And in addition, it kind of opens up who you can go see. It doesn't have to be local. You can see anybody online as well. I wanted to bring up another scenario that we had. So let's say someone in our life approaches us with their struggles, or we just feel that in general, they really could benefit from therapy because we can, of course, always be there for them and listen, but we just can't give them the exact or like that level of help that they need. But maybe they aren't necessarily willing to seek out or they just don't know where to find help. So I guess my question to you would be, where would you recommend how we approach this scenario, I guess? So we don't want to snare our nose at our friends and say, you need therapy. Like clearly yeah, no. you need therapy. <laughs> no. I don't want to say that. <laughs> we don't necessarily want to do that, even though that may be the voice in our head. <laughs> True. Yeah. But what we can do is tell our friends or our family members the things that we're noticing. Like I notice it. I notice you've been very teary lately and very sad. And you know, can you share a little bit about how you're feeling? And then as they share, what are the types of things that we can do about this together? Do you think that you'd consider a therapist? Do you think you'd consider what are the kinds of things you'd consider? Because it really hurts me to see you this this sad or this distraught. So that would kind of be the conversation 
conversation, really just starting off with what you're noticing and really kind of connecting with them and finding out how they're feeling and kind of coming up with solutions together. You can suggest solutions and see how they feel about them. And just really being there as a non-judgmental support for them is really great. Okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. So really you want to be there to help and give them suggestions, but never telling them what to do. Is that is that kind of the idea there? Yeah. And you're not trying to be a judge, you know, to say you need this or go do this because uh, that's not helpful. You really want to partner with them as much as possible. Sometimes when you're not feeling your best, you're feeling disempowered. So you want to have a conversation where they're feeling just as empowered to be able to make decisions about where they can go, knowing that you're going to be a non-judgmental force. You know, sometimes this internalized stigma is so big and so great that they would want to say, I want to go to therapy, but until you suggest it, they wouldn't even say it, right? And then when you say it, they're like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And then they feel very relieved that someone else feels like it's okay to do that as well. No, that makes sense. And I I think it's a a conversation that has been coming up a lot more often regarding the stigma around therapy. Of course, in the past few years, I've seen an uprise in the amount of people who are just talking about mental health and talking about their struggles a little more openly versus um, letting that stigma come up. So can do you maybe have an idea of why in these past couple of years, a stigma has um, gone down a little bit and it's been getting better. And of course, it still needs to improve a lot more. But why do you think people are more open about talking about these issues? Yeah, I think because a lot of celebrities are talking about therapy, a lot of people that are looking like they're okay and perfectly put together are going to therapy and have in conversations, well, my therapist said, and, you know, and in therapy, I learned and, you know, that kind of thing. And I I hear that from my clients as well, that, uh, yeah, I was kind of talking about you and telling so-and-so, you know, about our last session, uh, which is great. You know, people are really opening up about being in therapy and going to therapy. Celebrities are doing that a lot more, which helps to normalize the conversation. Then you have big campaigns from big organizations that are helping to decrease the stigma and talk about mental health and talk about working on mental health. And then we have the pandemic that has swept in. And now the talk about mental health has become so the norm. So now people are okay with saying, yeah, I'm gonna I've been to therapy or I'm going to therapy. And I think it's such an important topic that we continue to talk about just try our hardest to eliminate the stigma. In all honesty, I would say, I feel like there's always this conception that being a therapist is a very mentally taxing job. So first of all, I'm just going to ask, is that true in your opinion? It can be, absolutely. It can definitely be mentally taxing if you're not looking after yourself as a brand new therapist. And if you're new to the field, it can be taxing. As someone who's been in the field for a long time, it's it can also become too taxing that people become burnt out and overwhelmed and suffering from compassion fatigue. So I think you have to be wary of all those things and be very mindful. And that's why I suggest that most therapists have a therapist so that they can have a place to vent and a place to unload and a pace to unwind and a place to kind of, you know, talk about life and talk about the things that they're going through. Because it's not true that we all have perfect lives as therapists, right? We can also have our own things going on. I uh, also have students who come to me for practicums and things like that. And I always suggest 
to students who are going to go into the field that it's important that you even consider to get your therapy done even before going out. It's great for self-reflection, learning more about yourself and what you're bringing to a therapy room is really important because you can be triggered by, you know, your clients or their information if you haven't dealt with things that you've gone through in your own life. It can be mentally taxing. I personally do a lot of great things in terms of my own self-care. So I find it very energizing for me now because I know how to look after myself and I know how to ensure that I'm paying attention to self-care. Of course. And I mean, you mentioned that that's something that your company does as well as is you focus on the relationship, not between, you know, clients and therapists, but also therapists having their own therapists. That's a really important thing there. Is that a passion for you that kind of came out of experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have been in the field for many, many years and I already went through my own crash and burn where I went through my own burnout, compassion fatigue, was already like hit the wall completely, depression, all of it went through my own struggles, battles as a professional in the field and realized that it you don't you're not immune to it as a professional in the field. So I had to kind of learn the hard way through experience how to ensure that I'm looking after myself and that, yeah, you're not infallible as the helper, that you can also succumb to your own demise. So you've got to know that you're not invincible. You're not superwoman. You've got to still know how to look after yourself. Hey, everybody, it's Whitney here. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast for more step-by-step guides to success from powerful women every single week. After you have some of your therapy sessions, what are some of the best tips and tricks that you like to send your clients home with to um, help with their mental health on their own time? So one of the things I'm going to suggest is the mental health assessment that I have on my website. So when you go to Gray Matter Health, that's G-R-A-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R-H-E-A-L-T-H. So Gray, I always say that it's an A-Y, not an E-Y for Gray Matter <laughs> Health. When you go to graymatterhealth.com, there's a free mental health assessment. So that assessment looks at your physical health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. It looks at all aspects of your health. And it kind of gives you an idea for whether you're doing well or not, and even your professional health. So there's six different aspects of your health, your mental health, your physical, emotional, psychological, all different aspects of your health to kind of take a look at. So you can kind of take a look at how well am I really doing and what areas can I really focus on improving? So that's one of the tools that I suggest because it's free and then you can just use that as kind of a monitor for yourself as to where to go, what things to do. The other thing that I have is the empowerment planner. That's a planner and a daily way of looking after your mental health. So if you don't necessarily want to go to a therapist or don't need to, or feel like you can manage on your own, it's a self-help tool and you could use it with your therapist as well. So what you do is it's an everyday way of monitoring how you're doing and what kinds of things you can do to maintain your mental health. So for example, it asks about your priorities for the day. So that's really about living each day with intention. And the priorities is not meant to be like a to-do list. It's to be a intention intentional list of what do I intend to do for this day to really put some purpose and meaning in this day. So on a Sunday, for example, that may be my, my, my priority is being in my pajamas with my latte, right? That could be my priority that day. And so having like some kind of a priority and intention for each day is really important. And then there's so many aspects of it. Like there's a mood and anxiety tracker. There's a self-help self-care square that helps you to 
focus on self-care. There's a space for gratitude. There's daily affirmations. So there's so many aspects loaded into this daily planner to be able to focus in on a little aspects of my mental health so that I'm focusing on being well every day. And then there's also worksheets in the beginning of it that also help you focus in on different aspects of your mental health. For every individual, depending on what they're working on, as a part of their client agreement, I say that there's therapeutic work that could be required in between sessions. Not always, but you know, a lot of the time, the majority of the time, there's some kind of therapeutic work that depending on what we're working on, that is going to be required that you do in between sessions. And that just continues to maintain what we're working on and continues to maintain this momentum that you are feeling like you are progressing and working on things for yourself. So therapy and our work together is always kind of active. It's not a passive thing. It's very active in that you're working on some things. And again, that just depends on what you're in for and what it is that you can can do because of schedules or, you know, busy moms with a brand new baby. It's not maybe going to be like a paper pen type of thing, but it may be just a different way of dealing with baby or playing with baby or being with baby. So it's just depends on who you are, what you can do and what we're working on. Absolutely. That's a great tip because yeah, you're right. Therapy does not begin and end when you walk in and out of the door. It's a uh, it progress and it's uh, it all kind of has to happen at the same time and in, in your normal life and then back to your therapy sessions, all of that to really have um, lasting impact. So it's a great tip there. And I do want to talk a little bit about burnout because I know that this is something that a lot of students and our listeners are probably going to be dealing with or even dealing with right now because uh, you know we're in school or you know dealing with exams and part-time jobs or full-time jobs or whatever it is that you're doing at the time and it can lead to a lot of burnout because you know you have so many classes and so many assignments to finish and the to-do list gets really long and that can feel really 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 overwhelming do you have any like really tangible tips for students on how to kind of mitigate that and help them kind of uh, survive through all of this? I got to say, I'm right there with you. I'm doing my PhD currently, so I'm right there with all the students who are feeling the pressure of the assignments and the tests and the this and the that and one after the other. I hear you and I got you. In terms of the workload, you know, obviously teachers just throw things at you and you you know that you've got to deal with it. One of the things is hopefully students are doing this already is once you do get your syllabus at the beginning of the term, really mapping out for yourself when things are going to be due, when you have those um, assignments to come up. And then you're going to try to ensure that in between those times that you're scheduling some downtime for yourself, you're scheduling points of enjoyment for yourself. So it can be, you know, you've got this two week in between a major assignment or a final test that you have maybe a day that you can carve out to be with friends or things like that. So you kind of want to schedule uh, self-care into your schedule. Don't, don't allow for it to just kind of happen because it may not just happen. But once you have all your tests and assignments kind of laid out, even if it's an hour in a day, or if it's one weekend for the semester or something, that you're carving out some time for social time, for me time, for something that refuels and re-energizes you on a regular basis. So not depleting yourself because I know, especially high achievers, I deal with a lot of students who are high achievers and all they want to do is just study, 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 study 
steady, steady, and they forget to eat, they forget to sleep, they forget to even, you know, stay connected with friends, unless it's like, you know, a Snapchat here and there or something like that. But in terms of like, actually seeing somebody face to face or spending some time even online face to face, having some time like that, having some social time is so important. And, and doing some activities that really you enjoy, whether it's skiing or having some fun outdoors, doing something or um, some other activities that you enjoy that without a screen is also important to incorporate in your life. Yeah, that's some really great advice. And I think um, I like the tip about actually putting it in your calendar, like actually scheduling this me time or friend time, whatever, because it's so true. If you don't, then it, you say, oh, I'll get to it. And then you just keep pushing it off and pushing it off. But yet we need to make sure that we keep our mental health in, in check and uh, take care of that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we don't schedule it, it probably won't happen. So when you lay out your syllabus and all that, really make sure you lay out yourself as a priority. There's so many people who yeah, they're happy when they get to the end of the semester, maybe they've achieved a lot, but then they're worn out and they're burnt out and they're not happy people. So you want to be happy at the end of it. Exactly. Um, do you have any advice or tips or just something you think our listeners should know, particularly those that are wanting to pursue a career in therapy? So if you're wanting to pursue a career in doing therapy, there's a couple of different streams and ways you can go like like I was saying before, there is the social work route or there is the psychology route. For the most part, you're going to want to do an undergrad, do a degree in something that you enjoy, whether it's psychology or the social work. And then you're going to want to do a graduate degree as well to focus in then on your area, your clinical area. So you can actually focus in on whether you want to be a family counselor or whether you want to focus in on couples, then you can kind of then special specialized as you get into your graduate work as well. So you do want to kind of figure out what you like in terms of psychology or social work. You know, the, there's slight differences in, in them. But when you take a look at the course descriptions, you want to go with what the course descriptions sound, you know, most exciting to you. There is a social justice aspect to social work that's always underlying social work. And it's a very broad field. So there's a lot that you can do with social work. It's not so narrowed. Uh, of course, as a social worker, we're going to promote that because it's it is a great way to go. You can always go with looking at jobs that are out there that also interest you and see what the credentials are of those jobs. So I always encourage students to do that. Start with the end in mind. So what is the job? Like when you look out there and you're looking at different jobs, what different jobs stand out to you is like, this sounds out to something I'd love to do. This sounds so great. This sounds exciting. And that's where you want to start because then when you look at the qualifications, then it tells you what you need to do in terms of schooling. And then that's where you start, right? That's where you end up taking your courses and moving towards that direction. Don't choose something just because mom and dad said to do. I know a lot of people have <laughs> to do that. Um, but you want to also love what you're going to do. So what sounds and feels like exciting to you, you want to go for it because chances are that's where your talents and abilities are as well. So go for what sounds thrilling and exciting to you and move towards that direction based on the qualifications that are in the job postings. 
Oh, that's that's a great uh, point. And kind of you said, you know, looking at the end goal first, one of the best piece of advice that I had ever received regarding like career guidance and career goals was, you know, to look at a career that I was potentially interested in. And actually, if, if it was possible to go there or to reach out to someone who is in the industry and talk to them and maybe shadow them and just try and get a little taste of it, do a little, you know, learn a bit more about it and try it out before committing to jumping into a program or your program or whatever regarding it. Because, you know, you want to make sure that you're going to like it before you jump into it. So do you have any maybe tips or tricks? Or I'm sure it's probably harder to do with therapy because you can't just, you know, shadow a therapist. It's not really um, an option. I don't I don't know. I don't think. But yeah, do you have any um, tips for how to maybe kind of get that sort of experience to see if people like it before they jump into the educational side of it? I also recommend that, especially for high school students who are trying to make the decision of what to do for, to go into university. They're like... I'm not even sure what I even want to do with my life. When you're looking in job descriptions, looking at what's interesting to you, and once you find a couple that are interesting to you, you want to get on somewhere like LinkedIn and start to connect with people that are in those fields. So if you're seeing some jobs and you're seeing some organizations that stand out to you that have those jobs incorporated, then you want to follow those organizations and then see who you can connect with that actually already works in those organizations. And just being able to talk and connect with them, people are usually open to having a Zoom call, right? To even talk about their jobs and their lives. And it's very easy now to connect with an absolute stranger online. Um, just, it's not like you're stalking or <laughs> any of those <laughs> yeah. creepy things, but, you know, just following people and you have your name and your face. It's so important that you're not faceless on LinkedIn, that you have your face, your name, your experience there, and that you're saying that you're a student looking for opportunities, that kind of thing. And that you just are wanting to find a little bit more about that company and that organization, or what's it like really to be a therapist, or what's it really like to be an engineer. And certainly, even though you're not necessarily going to be able to to sit in on private practice. There's a lot of nonprofit organizations where you have counseling and therapy and that you can probably even volunteer with some of these organizations to be able to get some experience and get some exposure. Well, that has been some amazing advice. And as much as Whitney and I would love to just sit and chat for hours, the interview does unfortunately have to come to a close. But before we do that, we just want to give you the time. And as we like to say, pass the virtual mic over to you and let you share any last words with our listeners. Thank you. So I want to just share with your listeners right now in the time of the pandemic, it is so important that we are paying attention to our mental health and wellness. There's so much going on in terms of some people feeling really lonely, isolated. I know that some people are on campuses where they're not really able to socialize with other people or there's not really a lot of people around or they're living alone in some place in a dorm or they're feeling like they're living alone um, off campus. There's a lot of loneliness that's happening or they're in their family home, but there's just not great connections in their family home and it feels like not a happy environment for them. So it's so important that you are looking at after that, what mental health? I do have a free mental health workshop that's happening on January 25th. That might be something of an option if people are interested in that to kind of talk about how to look after your mental health for 2022. How do you focus in on it? What do you even do? What does it even mean to focus in on mental health? In this pandemic that we are staying connected with other people, it's so easy to isolate when we're in lockdowns after lockdowns and there's so many restrictions. But that 
we're staying connected to people that we find are enjoyable in our life, people that we find that we can connect with, that we can share with, that we feel comfortable with, that we're trying to find those people and even connect with people that we haven't connected with in a long time. But staying connected is one of the biggest things that we can do for ourselves because we are social beings and we are wired to connect with each other. When you're not feeling well and you're starting to feel unwell, a lot of the times one of the first things we do is disconnect from others. A lot of the times we start to isolate and stay on our own because we're feeling down and we don't want to kind of spread our down feelings with other people. But it is so important to do the opposite of what you're feeling to do, which is really reach out to others, share with someone how you're feeling. If you are feeling like you're having thoughts of suicide, thoughts of self-harm, it's so important to connect with a crisis line. To be able to talk about your feelings is so important because it gets bigger and bigger when it just stays in our head and we ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. It becomes dangerous. I'm going to suggest that any crisis line within your area that you do connect with them and crisis services that are in your area. And we can certainly probably link some of those online on the podcast as well. So that if you are suffering or you're not having a good time right now and things are really rough for you, that you are having some resources and somewhere to connect. So, so important. And then I just like to share with your listeners that it's been great to be here and that I am online at graymatterhealth.com. There's so many different free resources that I try to offer to the community. If you connect with my website, usually there's something that you can get for free that's helpful. You could also follow me on Instagram, Gray Matter Health as well. I'm on the Twitter and, fa- and Facebook, but I tend to mostly be on Instagram, I gotta say. I offer free information as well on there on mental health. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. And thank you for all of your advice and your insights. It was really, really amazing. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. It was great. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you learned something new. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website for more exclusive content. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to Power in Heels.